great, we're hallowed. We try to establish the fact that when the Bible uses the word hallowed in Scripture, it's really connected to the church in a way, the bride of Christ or the wife to Yahweh. And so today we want to continue. I'm going to be dealing with a little bit of an aspect of it. But I would like to finish up with what we started last week as well from Revelation 17. There were two other scriptures I intended us to read, which we didn't read because of time. So let's go down to Revelation 17, and I'll read again straight from verse 1. And the Bible says, And then came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vows, and talked with me, saying, Come unto me, call me there, and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great hall, that seated upon many waters. Now I want you to know that, because we're going to be dealing with many waters uh, this evening. What does waters mean? Here the Bible is saying the, the prostitute is sitting upon many waters. So when you read about waters in the Bible, what do you think you're talking about? Or what do you think the scripture is talking about? Verse 2. The ground, the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of a fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet-colored and dealt with gold and precious stone and pears, having a golden cup in her hand full of abomination and faithiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abomination of the earth. The verse 6 says, And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints. And I want you to know that. Uh, the blood of, um, with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. So I'm picking up from verse 6 tonight. This woman, the Bible says, was drunken with the blood of the saints. Amen? Like I said before, there's a common interpretation that this has to do with Rome. But like I tried to establish the fact last week, we need to understand that when we talk about fornication, we're talking about somebody who is married in this sense. And like I said, Rome was not married to God. Amen? Rome was not the wife to Yahweh. Hallelujah. And then, another point that often comes up is Rome persecuted Christians. Yes, that is true. But essentially, if we look at this, we'll find that I'm going to read another scripture from the language of Jesus so that we can truly see who persecuted the saints. Praise the Lord. Now move just a little bit to Revelation 19, verse number 2. Remember, this woman, Pastor Kutet, is saying, the Bible says she was drunk with the blood of the saints and with the martyrs of Jesus. In other words, it was Pastor in the body of Christ, 
persecuting Jesus Christ, dealing with his saints, and all that. Amen? Even if you go down to reading about the seven churches, you see where Jesus was talking about the synagogue of the Jews who call the same Jews, but they're not. And they talk about where Antipas, the first martyr of Jesus, was killed. Right? He wasn't talking about the Rome, Roman people. He was talking about the Jewish people. Amen? That is why he called them synagogue of the Jews. Right? Hallelujah. So, Revelation 19, verse 2. Here the scriptures say, He has condemned the great... Now, I'm reading from the NIV. Here, in the, in the true sense, he's talking about God now. Because you start reading from Revelation 14, 15, 16 down to 19, you see the progression of how God is talking about this particular woman. Alright? And then when it comes to chapter 19, he says... He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted it by her adulteries. He has a ring avenged on her the blood of his sins. Who sins? God sins. Is that all right? Yeah, are you with me? God sins. Here the Bible is saying God avenged the blood of his sin in the hands of this particular prostitute. Now, so, let's get down to what Jesus said about this. Matthew 23. Just turn with me to Matthew 23. And let's look at verse 29. Matthew 23, reading from verse 29. Bible says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets, and garnish the sepulchre of the righteous, while the righteous the saints. And say, if we have been in the days of our fathers, we will not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves, that ye are the children of them which keep the prophets. And he said, fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. Ye serpent, ye generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Verse 34. Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. That upon you, are you there? May come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zachariah, son of Barakas, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. Praise the living God. Did you get that? As he's here saying, this is what is going to happen. By reason of the way you live, the things you've been doing, how that even the prophet has sent to you, you persecute them, and that the blood of the prophet, the blood of all those people that have died from Abel to the blood of Zacharias shall be found in your hand. So when you go to Revelation 19, 
Jesus speaking to John now says, there is this cry that says, now the blood of the martyrs and the saints have been avenged of her. Are you getting the point now? Okay. Meaning, the very people that Jesus spoke to in the book of Matthew 23, and the judgment he pronounced that was going to be coming upon them, truly came upon them. Praise the living God. So we can see precisely that when we're talking about the prostitutes in the book of Revelation, we're dealing with the Jewish people. They were the one that killed the prophet. They were the one that killed the saints. They were the one that was persecuting the body of Christ up to that particular point. Amen? So the prostitutes again in Jerusalem representing the entire Jewish nation that has rejected Christ. In their passion for being like the other nations around them, the Jews debase themselves and enter into unfitting practices of idolatry, business, and all manner of things with the rest of the people. If you look at Malachi on some other translation, I mean books, you're going to find that God said they have to be a separate people upon the face of the earth. Are you there with me? But when they begin to mix up with other nations, like I told us last week, at that point they were actually committing prostitution against God. Amen? Hallelujah. And here God was saying, I'm going to revenge you. Not only because you've gone into this, but also because in your midst, you're killing the very saints of God. And get that right. Last week we established the fact, the Bible says, the Lord was killed in that city, which is called Sodom and Egypt. I mean, if you remember, Revelation 11. And we do know that Jesus was not killed in Egypt or in Sodom. And Isaiah told us precisely when he was prophesying about Jerusalem, he called Jerusalem Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember that? Good. So, when we talk about Sodom, we talk about Gomorrah or Egypt, we're talking about a realm of evil against the Lord. So when you say where the Lord was killed, we're talking about the things that actually, if you want to bring it down to this moment, they are the things that destroy the body of Christ. In the sense of Christ not being who he's supposed to be within his body today because of the kind of things we're bringing in. So Christ is not being glorified because we are interjecting, we are bringing in so many things which are not of the scripture. Amen? Hallelujah. In fact, to me, the book of Hebrews talks about those who haven't tasted the power of the age to come, but they crucify the Lord to themselves afresh. And every day we do that. By our belief system, by our attitude, by the things we bring into the church. We do that. We crucify him every day. Instead of exalting him, instead of magnifying him. And this is what Mr. Babylon was actually doing. Hallelujah. It's a rejection of the righteous seed by God sent. So once that nature became a persecuting enemy of his remnant people, it had to be finally destroyed. In other words, it came to a point where everything that has to do with Christ was being spoken against, worked against by the Jewish system, by Jerusalem. In fact, you must understand that it wasn't just. Remember what the scripture said. It said, if the prince of this world had known 
the Lord of glory, they would not have crucified him. How many of you remember that? So the prince of, who is the prince of this one? Is it the devil? Not at all. You check your scripture, you find that those who truly crucified the Lord were the high priest, the scribes and the Pharisees. It had nothing one be to do with the devil. They were the ones that said, crucify him. It was their judgment. Pilate said, my hands are clean. Don't worry. Get out of the place. Sentence him. Amen. Are you there with me? Hallelujah. So we find that Revelation is a picture of that destruction and the resulting victory of the Christian believers at the end of the day. Christians still triumph over that. Because you see, it was not possible for whatever persecution that was going on to keep the body of Christ or the move of the spirit bound. How many of you remember that? Peter made a statement when they were praying. He said, God, see how that he persecuted the saints. See how they are persecuting us. I mean, remember that? It's about give us boldness to declare your word. So even when they tried to put them in prison, tried to persecute them, that could not stop Jesus from moving. Amen. And remember what he said. He said, you fill Jerusalem with what? With your doctrine. So it was not possible in the midst of the persecution. Remember in Acts chapter 12, James was even killed. All right? And Peter was to be killed in Ezra before the angels came to set him free. Praise the Lord. So a lot of persecution was going on, and this was actually done by the Jews. And this is the time also we realized that even Paul was part of those that was persecuting the saints. So it was a major persecution that was against the body of Christ. He was rejected. And they feel they have to kill him to take even the vineyard, which is his father's property. Read the parable there. Hallelujah. So uh, Christianity finally got the victory in the midst of that, and we are saying the judgment came, and the judgment that came, and the avenging of the blood of the saint was the using of the Roman armies by who? By God. Hallelujah. Praise the living God. So now, even in the midst of the persecution, when the victory came, we can see that Christianity was brought from the realm of darkness of persecution and tribulation to the point where God tells them and glorifies them by saying to it that their persecutors were now judged by reason of the avenging of their blood. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay. Now, turn with me to the book of Jeremiah 51. Let me read something here. Let me just read something here so that we move on to the issue of the seas very quickly. Jeremiah 51, let's look at verse 43. Okay, we can look at verse 48. Verse 48. I want you to see this. The Bible says, Then the heaven and the earth and all that therein, all that is therein, shall sing for Babylon, for the spoilers shall come unto her from the north, saith the Lord, as Babylon has caused the slain of Israel to fall. So at Babylon shall fall the slain of all the earth. Praise the Lord. Now, move again back now to Revelation chapter 18. I just want you to compare these two places. Revelation 18, verse 20. The Bible says, Rejoice over her. Who is it rejoicing over? Over the fall of Babylon, over that city, the prostitute. Is that all right? O heavens, rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets. God have judged her by the way she treated you. I read from NIV. 
Revelation 18, 20. Is it there in your Bible? Praise God. Are you there? He said, rejoice over her. O heavens, rejoice, saints, and apostles, and the prophets. God have judged her by the way she treated you. Amen? Okay. So, here we see the fall of Babylon in the sense of God bringing judgment onto Babylon because of what Babylon did to the saints, the prophets, and the apostles. Hallelujah. Who went out? The saints, the martyr ones, the ones that were killed by the system of religion, which is typified by Babylon, here then is Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Praise the living God. So, that is all about Babylon that I'm, I can be able to share with you. But like I said before, I'm giving you all of this in bits so that you can on your own through your studies and intelligent studies of the world, you can understand prophetic languages and to be able to know that you don't have to read Babylon and then you'll be thinking of something somewhere. It's just simply a system that works against the light of the gospel of Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. Okay, so now tonight, let's deal with what we really have, which is sea or waters. You've read in the scripture several times. All right? The glory of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. Uh-huh. Hallelujah. Okay. Um, back again to Revelation 17. Back again to Revelation 17. Let's pick up from there. Yeah, the Bible says, And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vows and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither. And I will show unto thee the judgment. Remember what we read before now? Revelation 18, 20 is the judgment. The judgment of the great harlot, or whore, that did what? Seated upon many waters. This is why it is very important that you, when you study the Bible, you try to get clear understanding of the language of the Bible. For instance... If you want to, you know, often people say, well, I believe in the literal interpretation of the word of God. The Bible says, if you add, it shall be added unto you. If you subtract, it should be subtracted from you. Have you read that before? And have you had people say that? Amen. Question. If we have to take this scripture literally, how do we see a prostitute sitting upon many waters? What water are you talking about? Is it Atlantic Ocean or Indian Ocean or Pacific Ocean? Which water does it mean? Because many waters equals ocean. It's not a lake. It's not a river. Hey, are you there with me? Now, how do you see a human being sitting upon waters? Because people will say, well, I just believe in literal interpretation. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so they miss the whole thing of what God is saying. How can a human being sit upon waters? What does that mean? Now, I'm going to make you see one or two things right now. Go to Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verse 1. And I read. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. Hmm. Hallelujah. Sea, waters. 
That's what I want to deal with tonight. What do, what do we mean when we talk about sea? What do we mean when we talk about waters? What does it stand for? Praise the living God. Are you there with me? Okay. Let me just say this. When you see the word water or sea, you're talking about a multitude or a nation of people. You are not talking about H2O. You are not talking about what is in Ragolis water, bottle. No, 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 no. You're not talking about River Niger, River Nile, or River Euphrates. You're not talking about that. Sea or many water speaks of multitude of people or nations. Amen. So now, when you say this prostitute is sitting upon many waters, what does that mean? To sit upon means to control. To sit upon means to influence. Hallelujah. Okay. Let's just take some scriptures from the Old Testament on this. Isaiah chapter number 5. Isaiah 5. Look at verse 30. Praise the Lord. You can find time to read on your own from the top, but I'm just going to give you a few verses right here. Isaiah 5, verse 30, the Bible says, And in that day they shall roar against them like the roaring of the sea. Who is roaring? And who is the them? Now, this was the roaring of the Assyrian armies against Israel. During the reign of Ahaz. Amen. Hallelujah. When the Assyrian army came during the reign of Ahaz of the northern kingdom, the Lord referred to that as a roaring of the sea. So the sea here speaks of the people which has to do with the Syrian army that was invading Israel. Ahaz reigned in Israel between 735 to 715 B.C. And when the Assyrian army came in, the northern kingdom, as it were, was devastated, brought down in 722 B.C. That is a prophetic word that God was giving, and he said, they are going to come like a roaring of the sea. Praise the living God. Amen. They so destroyed the northern kingdom, Israel, as it were. And most of the people were taken into captivity into the Assyrian Empire. 722 BC, this was done. God referred to that incident, that invention, as what? A roaring of the sea. So again, I want to reiterate the fact that the sea had nothing to do with the Atlantic Ocean. I have nothing to do with what see do we have here. Here in Delta State, here in whatever. You have your sea, Focados River, whatever, whatever. Is that okay? I have nothing to do with that. It's talking about a people, a group of people. Amen? Hallelujah. Okay. So like I said, this prophetic, prophetically symbolic, you know, about a great number of the strength of the Assyrian soldiers, 
uh, as compared to the waves of the stormy sea was much. Okay, go again now to the book of Isaiah chapter 8, verse number 5. We read 5 up to uh, verse 9. I just want you to look at this, a very interesting passage with regards to this. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 5, I read. The Lord spoke also unto me, saying, again saying, For as much as these people refuse the waters of Shiloh, that go softly and rejoice in Razim Aramalea's son, now therefore behold, the Lord bring up upon them the waters of the river, strong and many, even the king of Assyria and all his glory, and it shall come up over all his channels and go over all his banks. And it shall pass through Judah. It shall overflow and go over. It shall reach even to the neck. And the stretching out of his wings shall fill the breath of their land, O Emmanuel. Associate yourself, O ye people, and it shall be broken in pieces. Give ear, O ye of far of countries. Get yourself, and it shall be broken in pieces. Get yourself, and it shall be broken in pieces. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Did you get that? So here again, God is saying, is bringing the devastation against these people. And he refers to that as an invasion of the river overflowing. When he says he's going to bring that to pieces, he's referring to the point that because of the invasion of their fear and the heart of the people shall be broken. Their heart shall melt. Hallelujah. So here we are going to the Assyrian Empire was situated, we have to look at it geographically, it was situated between River Tigris and the River Euphrates. That's where you find this empire. The flawed is prophetic ways of describing the overwhelming force of the Assyrian army. So when you look at verse 9, when he said, to be broken in pieces means to lose courage. He said they shall be broken in pieces. I mean, the people will lose courage. They will lose their minds. Their heart will begin to fail them when they begin to see the invasion of the Assyrians. Praise the Lord. Are you following it? So, when we talk about this water coming into Judea, into Jerusalem, overflowing, we're talking about the army's invasion of the Assyrians. Is this simple? Hey. Are you getting it? I want you to catch this so that when you are reading, you don't get confused. Amen? When you are reading the book, you don't need to be confused. You need to put some of these elements together and then you can have a proper picture of what God is talking about. Sometimes, for instance, if you, if you have maybe a dream and there is a flood coming, you just know that there is a kind of trouble that is coming your way. Right? You just know that. Praise the living God. It's an evasion of the enemy. Sometimes I had some issues and one of the things the Lord showed me was he took me to a particular place and I find that I was, my dad was sitting very relaxed and was just smiling and I find that flood just, flood was there but the flood had just abated. Everything was out but you can see, see the dead leaves and everything and then my dad looked at me and he said the flood is over. That was some five years ago. I knew that there was a change in my life. I knew that something was coming in a way that would bring joy to me. Amen? So the flood is over. 
simply means the trouble is over. So Floyd is not talking about the one that took the country last year. Was it, was it last year we had Floyd? <laughs> it's not talking about that. Hallelujah. Are you there with me? I want you to understand the symbolism of the use of the word waters and seas and floods. You just need to understand it. Praise the living God. All right. So the waters like as a symbolic of warlike art nation that will sweep over Judah like floods water. And the next phrase, like you find in 7 and 8, tells us what it is. If the king of Assyria and all his glory, and he shall come upon over all the channels and go over all his banks, and he shall pass through Judah. Amen? Amen. This is very simple. Praise the living God. All right. Let me take one more scripture. I'm sure this is it. Uh, let me just go straight to Jeremiah. Turn with me to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 51 again. Let's look at 36 to 42. That is his 42. The Bible says, The sea is come up upon Babylon. She is covered with a multitude of the waves thereof. I just read the last one, which is 42. You can read from 36. But I just read 42. All right? Jeremiah 51. So the question again is, what was this sea that will call or cover Babylon? Was it the literal Atlantic Ocean? Is that what the Bible is describing? No. Hallelujah. Again, this was the sea of the armies of the Medes, Medopatian, through Cyrus. You can find that in verse 29, for instance, if you're looking at that verse 20, let's say 28. That's what you see. Prepare against her the nations with the kings of the Medes, the captains thereof, and all the rulers thereof, and all the land of his dominion. Is it there? So the king of, 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 of the Medes was to prepare the people against Babylon. And the Bible refers to that as a flood that was going to overtake what? Babylon. Amen? You can look at another symbolic usage in verse 25 of the same Jeremiah 51. Look at verse 25. Another symbolic word that is used there. It talks about the burning of the mountain. Mountain that was burned. Amen? Now, this is another language that is used for kingdoms. So, sometimes we go back and start reading, and the Bible says, John speaking, and he says, Every valley shall be filled, every mountain shall be made plain. And all that. And we're looking at gutters in the street and things like that. No. We're talking about kingdoms, you know, ruling authority, powers, leveling them. Hallelujah. Praise the living God. So here he talks about a burnt mountain, talking about the kingdom of Babylon. Also be brought down. Also by the Medopatians. The Medes under King Cyrus. Praise the Lord. Okay. Let's get down now to Revelation again. Dealing with the issue of the sea. And I'm just believing that you're beginning to pick some pictures here. That will help you as you read your Bible. Revelation 4 verse number 6. Let's look at that. 
an interesting one. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And the midst of the throne, around about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Now, I'm not going to deal with the beast. But you see, the beast that is full of, the four beasts have to do with the eagle, the lion, the ox, and what? Anybody else? Pardon? The calf. The calf is the ox. So you have the eagle, the lion, the calf, and what again? Take time to read. Four living creatures. Amen? Now, the beast, if you use the word beast, actually, in the original Greek, as it were, it means living beings. They are not beasts in terms of creatures. Because you see, the eagle actually represents saints. In this dimension, we are dealing with the fullness of the face of Jesus. That's why the Bible said they were before the throne. Hallelujah. I won't deal with that today fully. But understand that if you check the four Gospels, they represent the four beasts. The man, the ox, the eagle, the lion. The face of a man speaks of wisdom. The lion speaks of authority and dominion. The calf speaks of a burden bearer. He bore our sin, bore our iniquities. Are you sitting there with me? Amen? Good. The eagle speaks of the same, the power to fly. The Bible says, They that wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount like what? Eagles. Eagles don't just fly, they mount. And that's an interesting thing for you to know. So waiting upon the Lord brings you to the place where you move with ease in the spirit dimension. Are you still there with me? You see, the eagles have very big feathers and wings. Is that okay? Now, what happens is, you see the eagle, you will just perch waiting for the wind to blow. And as the wind is coming, all he needs to do is just open up the wings and then the wind takes it up. The eagle doesn't suffer to flap the wings. He just go on mounting. That's why he come mount up like eagles. Hallelujah. So those are the four beasts. The man, the eagle, the lion, the ox. Is that alright? Good. But we're not dealing with that. The Bible says these things are before the throne. In the true sense, for you to come to the place of total authority and victory, to come to the place of ruling as a priest in God's kingdom, you must experience or go through this fourth dimension of the face of Jesus. Amen? Now, we're not going to deal with that tonight. Well, let's look at what we look at here. So, before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. The throne was God's. Remember, this throne belongs to God. Is that all right? And the sea was and is the sea of his own people. The faithful Christian believers. This is another way of saying they were righteous before the Lord. They were putting on white raiment before the Lord. The Bible said they were clear as crystal. This is a sea of people that are before the Lord. Believers. Now, remember what we read before. We saw the sea, the book of Isaiah and the book of Jeremiah, to representing the people that were invading another nation. Is that all right? But this sea you see here, it was before the Lord. 
right by the throne, clear as crystal. So these are believers who have gone through processing. They have come up on the other side. They are clean before the Lord. It's just another way of saying, uh, like you read in the book of Revelation 14, that those that were standing, bef- I mean, with the Lord on Mount Zion are 144,000. Have you read that? But you see, it doesn't have to be people standing. They have to be lambs standing too, because the one that is standing there is a lamb. Uh, hallelujah. Praise the living God. So the sea's picture has been like glass. That is, it was smooth and not turbulent. God's people are given through peace. It actually speaks of peace. Now, how many of you sometimes uh, have been to the river, the wind is not blowing, and you just look at the whole place and it's very calm? Have you noticed something like that? Good. That's exactly what we mean. We're talking about the people who have peace within them. The peace of God is now reigning in their life. No troubles, no turbulence. They are not foaming out their shame like what you find in the book of Jude. Praise the living God. So these are believers. They are people who have come through whatever they need to come through that God has ordained for them. They are clean, perfect, and they, they are peaceful. The peace of God is now reigning in their life. And they are, they are before the throne, just like you find the four beasts also before the throne. Amen. Praise the Lord. Even if this was supposed to be hard for you, you still have to know it. <laughs> Hallelujah. You still have to know it. Praise God. Okay. So, go down to Revelation chapter 8. Let's look at something there. Uh, Revelation 8, I'm sure. Let me see. That's what I want. Okay. Revelation 8. Look at verse number 8. That's what. And the second angel sounded, and it was a great mountain burning with fire, was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. And if you say something like a huge mountain, all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A thought of the sea turned into blood. What mountain is this? Remember, read in the book of Jeremiah, a burnt mountain. How many of you remember that? Okay. And I was telling us about Babylon. When the Medes came, the mountain was burnt up. Okay. Yes, another mountain. And the Bible says it was like as it were, burning like fire was cast into the sea. What does that mean? For those of us also who think that it has to be literally interpreted, can you tell me which mountain God is referring to and we see this mountain was cast into? And then the sea turned into blood. Simple. This is basically the Roman Empire or the Roman armies that were more or less cast into the sea of the Jewish nation and the blood flowed. That's why the sea turned into blood. Knowing that sea speaks of a people. Hallelujah. The sea speaks of a people. So this burning mountain that was cast into the sea was the Roman Empire. The very empire that was used to persecute or to destroy the Jewish nation, as it were. So here God was causing the Roman army to come into conflict with the people of the Palestinians. 
uh, who were the sea here. That this was an action of war is indicated by the image of the sea and the people involved turning what into blood. Amen. Hallelujah. Are you following what I'm doing here? I want you to catch it because it's very easy. Listen, when you start reading, if you haven't gotten this understanding, then the world will come alive. See what Jesus did to the disciples on the road to Emmaus? The Bible said that our heart was born when he was talking with us. Amen? And the Bible said when he broke bread, they understand. They begin to recognize him because he broke bread. What we're doing here right now is breaking bread for you to have understanding of scriptures. Hallelujah. And you must understand that the Bible made us to understand in that encounter that Jesus had to begin to explain to them from the Psalms, from the prophet, and from the law. He taught all of these things, but they could not still understand who he was. The Bible said, when he broke bread, they understood him, and he vanished from their sight. Amen. We are breaking bread. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, so that's the point. Now, the bony mountain there that was cast into the sea was the Roman Empire that was thrown into the Jewish system to destroy that system. The Bible said it turned into blood. Hallelujah. Okay, let's go down to Revelation 21. Maybe we're going to stop here tonight. Revelation 21. Praise the Lord. Chapter 21, verse 1. Look at what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth are passed away, and there was no more sea. Did you find it there? Come on. Did you find it there? Good. Okay, just take it now. What, it, what, what, what do you mean sea when you say no more sea? What are you talking about? Talk to me. What is he talking about? No more sea. No more people. What people is it that disappeared? Oh, the Jewish people. <laughs> you find the, the mountain was thrown there. And then, you understand, the sea turned into blood. I mean, no more sea. These people are no longer existing or do no longer exist. In other words, the Old Testament disappeared for the New Testament to come in. That's why I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The former thing of passing away and there's no more sea. By extension, no more sea of people who are in turbulence. Because you see, the sea that is before the Lord is crystal clear. It's peaceful. It's calm. So we're talking about a situation where no more confusion in the life of people. But essentially here we find that the Jerusalem set of Jewish people, as it were, were taken away because that mountain was cast into the sea. Praise the living God. So no mercy, and watch this. When there is no mercy, we refer to the Jerusalem people, automatically the Old Testament also what? is gone away. That's what he's saying. So a new heaven and a new Vietnamese and new people. Which has to do with the new covenant. Praise the living God. Are you following it? So here we find that the old Jewish law 
have been fulfilled and the faithful remnant, the Christian believers, have been secured. Then the old unbelieving nation of Jerusalem was utterly destroyed in the war. The Jewish nation ceased to exist as it did in biblical times. The sea of the Jewish people was no longer in existence. That's what he's saying. No more sea. Praise the living God. So when you begin to read the book of Revelation, you come to Revelation 21, and he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, former things are passed away, and no more sea. You're not talking about maybe one day the whole earth will dry up, and then no more Atlantic Ocean, no more Indian Ocean, no more Pacific Ocean. No, 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 no. It's not talking about that. Please, let me tell you something. God has been existing from time past, when there was no time. Is that all right? And you can't, you see, you can't, you don't even know how many billions of galaxies and planets that are in existence. And you must understand also that anyone who creates any object, he must have a purpose and must be responsible. Is that all right? So God is not only responsible to the earth, he also has a purpose for the earth. No man goes to go to the market, you go to the market to buy a property. You don't have a purpose for it. You don't do that. God is wiser than you hundred times. So if you create an object, he has a purpose for that object. And he also has a responsibility towards that object. Not only to maintain it, but also to keep it. Are you still there with me? So when we say no mercy, we're not talking about the Antarctic Ocean, we're not talking about the Pacific Ocean, we are just talking about the Jewish system of religious worship and the people that were involved in that worship. By the time that burning mountain was cast into the sea, the whole of that sea had turned into blood and no more sea. So the laws have been fulfilling Christ. Can I hear an amen to that? That is why anybody who has tried to paint a picture for you that one day you have to go to Jerusalem and then erect another temple and then so you need to send some money to Jerusalem so that the temple can be instructed. It's just deceiving you. That's religion. God is not dealing with Jerusalem of old. He's dealing with the present Jerusalem, which is the mother of us all. Hallelujah. God bless you and I'll see you next week. Hallelujah.